Welcome to This Week in Location-Based Marketing, the most trusted podcast dedicated to the new business of location. and welcome to This Week in Location-Based Marketing. This is episode number 120. We are recording this live early morning, March 9th, 2013. My name is Rob Woodbridge from untether.tv, located in sunny, balmy Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. And with me as always for the previous 119 shows, and he came back again. <laughs> Asif Khan from the Location-Based Marketing Association. Uh, yeah, and uh, it's also sunny in Toronto today, so um, hey, well, I, you never know. Sometimes you get some good weather. Well, this is it. This is the day before daylight savings time, either like you're springing ahead, right? So everybody's losing an hour. We're gonna, all going to be grumpy in Canada, uh, you know, in North America tomorrow. But today, I'm, I'm, I'm feisty. I got, I'm in a good mood. I got a lot of sleep. After quite the week of uh, travel and uh, turbulence, this, uh, this was, it was very welcome to get back into the city. Um, we're going to be talking a little bit about what we did in Toronto together. We're going to be talking about some great stories from across the uh, the whole location-based marketing world. Some of the companies you will recognize, some of them you won't. We, of course, have our great guest of the week and a, an insane resource. Um, but before we get into that, let's talk about the LBMA. What's going on with the LBMA? you got an in incredible schedule over the next couple of months, don't you, Steve? Yeah, yeah, it's 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 crazy busy. Uh, just a lot of great events going on. I mean, our chapters are are uh, you know continuing to uh, stay busy, and and uh, we're even launching new chapters. So, so there's plenty going on. So maybe just to highlight a couple, um, we're uh, March the twentieth. Uh, we're in Berlin, and uh, we're doing a, a, a nice little event there, uh, trying to bring the local uh, community together uh, around the location ecosystem in Berlin, and just having a sort of informal discussion and chat about you know where things are going and and uh you know for us it's it's a new market to uh, to be in germany and and kind of see what's happening there and then uh sort of a week after that april the third uh the lbma san francisco chapter is running an event called developing for location and it's it's a panel discussion primarily led by you actually uh good old rob woodbridge there um moderating a panel on uh Kind of looking at uh, tools for developers and SDKs and and things like that around enabling location in in apps. So uh, that will include Urban Airship and Placecast and Locate and Pushpoint Mobile and a bunch of uh, great companies uh, involved in that discussion. Uh, then of course, um, you know, it doesn't stop there. Uh, April is a crazy month. Uh, there's the Ramp Conference uh, in Chicago, the Retail Ramp Conference. Uh, and then at the end of the month, uh, our C we're launching a new chapter in Seattle on April the 23rd. Uh, and that's in partnership with Venue Labs, Razorfish, Point Inside, you know, a bunch of great companies in that uh, market as well. And then the next day on the 24th, uh, the Atlanta chapter is back at it again, uh, this time in partnership with AMA, which is the Atlanta Interactive Marketing Association. So we're partnering up and doing a, a great event uh, there as well. So that's just uh, right there, just April. And... Um, so plenty going on, um, and and uh, it'll be lots more to talk about in, in the next couple of weeks. So when are you home? You're home this week, simply for it's March break in Canada. It's yeah. March break. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'm home this week, and then I'm uh, I'm pretty much on the road for the next six. So home home for a few days in between. But yeah. Well, um, you know, I just before, before I mean, it's, the amount of the amount of activity that the LBMA does is incredible. You know, we always talk about this: the stalwarts, the the uh, the voice of, of location and uh, you, you know you never rest you never rest maybe over Christmas and March break that's about it so uh, you know Asif we appreciate what you do for the location world and the mobile world because they're all coming it's like it's location mobile retail mashup it's what the LBMA does yeah uh, yeah before before we even get into any of the stories or uh, just an overview we're going to talk about what uh, you know our, our experience last week at DX3 Canada. But uh, I do want to reach out to say a huge congratulations to uh, Whirly and uh, Chaotic Moon. It's a uh, app development company down in Austin, right now in the heart of Austin, which is where South by Southwest is. They've announced that they've been invested in by WME, which is William Morris Endeavor. Huge chunk of their company goes to these guys. Um, 
Chaotic Moon, if you don't know, are the guys that worked on, uh, you, you name it, uh, there's a monster at the end of the book, which is a, 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 my, one of my kids' favorite books on the iPad. They worked on The Daily, which was that failed attempt at the, you know, Murdoch's uh, digital-only newspaper, but they've worked on with Microsoft, some of the biggest brands on the planet. They are an elite, uh, very, very, very small 50-person team that uh, have really changed the way that we look at mobile. Worley and uh, works... Um, yeah, I mean, he's a he's a co-founder, but he 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 runs Catech Moon Labs, and they did the longboard that was powered by brainwaves. Pretty pretty amazing, amazing guy, and uh, so huge congratulations to Worley and his team for this huge milestone. Uh, the they were now a part of WME, or WME is taking a chunk of Catech Moon, which is which is great. Yeah, it, it, you know, and and uh, you know, uh, there's so much great stuff coming out of Austin uh, in general. I mean, obviously, South by Southwest is uh, is kicking off uh, this week, and uh, neither of us are going to be down there because uh, we just got too many other things going on. But, uh, you know, there's, there's so many great startups coming out of that space, especially in the in mobile and location uh, areas. And, uh, you know, you just reminded me of, uh, you know, I want to say also uh, welcome to Digby uh, Mobile, who's uh, also in Austin uh, and uh, just uh, became a member of the LBMA this week. So welcome aboard. Uh, we're happy to have you. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, I'm sure we're going to have lots to talk about after South by Southwest uh, as well. So I think so. All right, let's get into this. Uh, for those of you who are watching this and you're wondering, yes, my kids did, did dress me. Yes, they are also Mario and Super Mario and Mario Brothers fans. So, yes, I, I, I didn't have a real choice about the, the shirt. It just happened this way. Anyway, see if you and I were in Toronto this past week. We were at a great event um, put on by the Anthony's and Andy um, called DX3 Canada. This was a, uh, I mean, it was pretty big. We, we, we kept on talking about how many different tracks there were, how much content there was, how many exhibitors there were. Uh, it was a great event. And, and, you know, first, overall impressions very quickly on your, your account. We did a panel together. Uh, it was a stand-up debate. Um, but what were, your, what were your thoughts on this event? I mean, a great event for the for the local Canadian market. It's it's rare to see a conference of that size. You know, four or five thousand people uh, gathering. Um, you know, all around. You know, technology and data and mobile and um, you know, lots of uh, uh, e-commerce stuff too, which which was uh, surprising to me. But uh, yeah, a good event. You know, uh, really great discussions, interaction. Lots of great people uh, we were hanging out with. So. Uh, yeah, uh, kudos to uh, the DX3 team for pulling it off. Yes, and just a few of those people that we actually hung out with. Ali Shaw, Ali, if you're listening to this, and I know you are from Bubble Finder, really, really great to meet you in person. The same thing with uh, Justin Kozak, who is from Halo. Had a great uh, opportunity to have a conversation. Lots of conversations with Justin. He, uh, the two Justins, yeah. actually, just Ko Kozak and yes. Raymond. So Yeah, Justin Raymond, go. who is the uh, president of uh, Halo Canada. We're trying to get them on the show to do a long-form interview with them. Um, and, and plus, I got some. I don't have it in front of me, but some great, uh, some some great stuff from Halo. I'll be wearing throughout the my other episodes. Um, Susie Kendrick, she's an Ottawa girl. Uh, Lillabelle Communications, uh, very cool to uh, connect with uh, with Susie. David Shalabi of TapTrack. Oh, and Justin, Justin Edmead, right? Uh, what a guy uh, from uh, TV dot TV and uh, Dave Coleman, I get to spend, uh, we did an experts panel with Dave Coleman from Google. Uh, who, it was really, really great to reconnect with Dave. Uh, so Dave, if you're listening, hello, buddy. And uh, Karina Shum, who is a, uh, a new first-time entrepreneur, company's called FS Local. Really, really great to, to connect and answer questions. And uh, hey, listen, uh, Karina, if you're listening, you can reach out anytime and ask questions to me, robertuntether.tv. I, I, I thought it was an incredible event. And of course, the Anthonys and Andy, and then uh, Kendall yep. as well, who uh, was running around trying to coordinate the whole event. Great job, guys. Really, the people stellar, the event stellar, the vibe was great. Had an amazing time. Yeah, and, and for me, one of the most uh, unique things was uh, there was a, a booth by uh, Spafax uh, that um, uh, has a, a solution called Sparksheet. And, and they hired this guy who was a, uh, you know, a, um, an illustrator. To basically sit there and, and you would sit down and you would, uh, yeah, Sparksheet, there it is. And uh, they would interview you and kind of understand what you do and what, what your work's all about and kind of your, your, a day in the life of, uh, of a CEO or whoever. And, uh, and while you're talking, he's basically drawing uh, <laughs> your life. So, so I did this and, and, and here's the result. I don't I'm going to zoom right in that there. Uh, yeah. Can you see yeah. that? 
So it's uh, it's amazing, and uh, so thanks to uh, thanks to Sparksheet for uh, for pulling that off. Really appreciate it. What a what a great memento. Well, so. it was it, yeah. Can't say enough about it. Can't wait till next year. If you weren't a part of it this year, you should be a part of it for DX3 Canada three, which is next year. And uh, you know, I'm I'm impressed. It it. Um, it brought the right people around. And then not, not to mention about it, it was in the heart of Toronto. So, you know, everybody that I knew and everybody that I wanted to meet with just ended up, you know, it, it becomes a huge networking session. And uh, except for that really, really drunk girl uh, at that party that night, that was that was somewhat embarrassing. <laughs> Her shirt was off. It was just, it was not so great. So if you're listening to this, we don't know your name, but um, you, you have a whole bunch of geek fans now anyways. Um, so what do you say? <laughs> Let's, let's, let's get, get into it. <laughs> we got six great stories. We're going to f- first start off with our, the app fascination of the week. Asif, buddy, what is it, what is it today? Uh, it's called Spindle, uh, and it comes from uh, um, Spindle Labs, another uh, company that uh, is uh, going to be a big player, I think, at South by Southwest. They're, they're launching uh, version 2 uh, in Austin uh, this week, uh, along with uh, Chicago Stuff and Seattle. all around you. You have no idea. Until Spindle, a new tool for tuning into your surroundings and knowing what's happening in your area. We're sampling a new pistachio cupcake at our bakery down the street. Gathering updates from local businesses and organizations, it's a news feed for your neighborhood. Spindle tells you what's happening right now. Art Fair today, 10 to 2. Spindle knows where you are and pulls updates from Twitter and Facebook. Organized by themes, such as restaurants, nightlife, shopping, Hey, we got the new summer dress from Genovese's. Only two left. Wow. Great, thanks. Hey, uh, we just tapped a keg of hard cider down at the pub. Won't last long. If you see a result you like, tap it for more. Wow, really? Yeah, $3 drinks, Wizard Fist, rocking out at nine. You should check it out. You can use Spindle to tell your friends where you're going and post your activity to Facebook or Twitter. Awesome, thanks. Really like a place? Add it to your favorites list, and Spindle will tell you what's happening at all the places you love. We'll even send you push notifications when your favorite places have something interesting to say. Pardon me. We have a cancellation. and can take a party of two at the Celebrity Chef Hotspot down the block. Spindle. Tune in to your surroundings and discover all that's happening around you. It's another one of these location, social discovery type of apps. But what's, I think, interesting about Spindle is that uh, it's all about search, uh, local search, um, and not just finding stuff around you, but uh, search alerts, which is, for me, really interesting. So this is kind of like the the mashup of social location discovery with uh, search-based push notifications um, and kind of tying those things together. So, you know, you may have searched for something in the past. It's, it's tracking that data. And then when it, when it finds something that's relevant to you, you get this kind of notification sent to you. So I think that aspect is, is really interesting. I don't know whether, you know, for, for me, you know, this is a very crowded space. Um, you know, I think it, it's, uh, it's, it's really difficult to, um, you know, get traction in this space and, and, and get, you know, beyond that sort of, Okay, so what? I got a million users or two million users that you know, like that. That doesn't really do a lot for you know from a monetization perspective. So, you know, I question how they make money, but you know, in terms of fun and and hanging out and and getting stuff that you want if you happen to be on this app. Okay, cool. I don't have much to add to this other than you know that that monetization riddle has got to be there. But you're right. You, you know, uh, we played the video at the beginning of this segment. So when you, when you when you, you want notifications about the things that you like based on your your past and and uh, or you based not on your past, based on your history, uh, and based on what you like, uh, this this makes a lot of sense. Um, again, it's 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 density that's the key, as you said. You know, getting past a million or two million users sounds so trite for us to say that for people who are struggling to get to ten thousand or a thousand or five hundred or their first user, but really that because it's so broad and the industry is so noisy, a million to two million users is that kind of that new hurdle to get past and up to 10, 20, and even we've seen Foursquare, you know, stall. Um, and mm-hmm. then you look at Instagram accelerate when they when they became a part of uh, Facebook. So that's the riddle now is how to accelerate so that you have enough density so that this actually works exceptionally well beyond one local neighborhood. So, yeah. So if you're interested in that, spindle.com, S-P-I-N-D-L-E dot com. You can download it in the App Store. I do not think 
It is available everywhere in every city. It is available in Austin, Boston, Chicago, New York, San Francisco, and Seattle. So if you're in those cities, you're in luck. If you're in Canada, you suck, which is typical, right? Yeah. You know, I was talking to somebody in uh, at DX3, and they said, you know, what's so great about Canada, aside from the great, clean, fresh air, universal health care, the Ottawa senators, uh, there's nothing else, right? No, no. Uh, what I was saying is that, you know, a lot of companies in the mobile space come up into Canada as a testbed. We have a good population of very, very, very active mobile users. Our population, somewhere in the realm between 70 and 75% of Canadians have smartphones and are connected to the internet. Uh, and they use us as a testbed for their launching of the product. So they, they beta test up here and then they launch in the States. And I love that. So if you are thinking about it, don't launch in California where you can fail immediately and then be, you know, blackballed. Come up into Canada, launch in Canada, do all your testing in Canada, then go down into the States. Give us the yeah. services for No, it, it, it's an ideal market for that. I mean, just the size, yeah. the population, the, the it, you know, the multiculturalism, uh, you know, that's that's in, in cities like Toronto, Vancouver, Montreal in yeah. particular. Um, you, know, you know, I just think th there's a lot of, of good things, you know, to look at Canada as a test market for, for a new product before you go into bigger, bigger markets like Europe or, or the U.S. Strategy number one. There you go. We're only 14 mm -hmm. minutes into this. All right, let's. So that's Spindle. Go to spindle.com if you're interested. Go download it. Play around with it. Let us know if you've played with it and uh, if you're fascinated with it. Oh, you know what? You know, an update on the uh, on the the other fascination apps. As as before, we even go forward. I got to tell you, one thing that I did in in uh, in Toronto was my all-time record on moves uh, walking: thirteen thousand five hundred seventy-three steps uh, in Toronto, and then the next day, eleven thousand one hundred eighty-one steps. Um, so I'm still using this. I don't know about you guys, but I'm still addicted to the Moves app. Still, it's a great app. It really is. It, it's uh, the simplicity of it and and the value you can get out of it in terms of just you know personal data um, is is really interesting. Right. So yeah, on to the next. All right. Here we go. Uh, first story, real story today, after all of that, uh, is this company that uh, we featured a couple of times. I've done an interview with Ryland Barnes a number of years ago. Shop Savvy partners with Capital One in a great way. And I think that we're going to see many more companies partnering this way. I like this. So, Steve, why don't you give everybody a little bit of a rundown? Yeah, so Shop Savvy, it's an app that's not new, been around for quite a while. Uh, you know, was originally uh, kind of focused on barcode scanning and price comparison and, and did a fen phenomenal job at that. I mean, a huge, huge uh, base of, of retailers and such that uh, that have been working with this. I mean, something like 40,000 retailers are on the platform, uh, 20 million products uh, stored in their database. Uh, so, you know, lots of great data there. Um, but, you know, again, at, at the end of the day, these things, you know, as I just said with Spindle, you know, come down to, you know, how do we make money? How do we start to monetize some of this kind of stuff? And so, um, you know, and the credit card companies like Capital One are kind of figuring, you know, trying to figure out how do we, how do we play in the, in the mobile wallet discussion? How do we play in, in this as well? And so this, for me, this is a good partnership. This is an interesting relationship. And so what happens is, is that kind of like Amex and Foursquare that we've talked about in the past, um, you know, it's about tying a, a user base around a mobile app to a, an existing card, uh, uh, credit card uh, function that, or, or um, solution that you already have in your wallet. And, and so what happens in this case is, is as you go out, as you use, that, use the Shop Savvy app, if you purchase $40 or more, you get a, a $20 uh, statement credit uh, from Capital One. Um, and, you know, that's just for, just for using the thing. And then there's all kinds of unique deals that are are pushed to you via the app um, that are coming from Capital One, and the interesting thing is, is the credit card companies, um, and, and this is not obviously limited to Capital One, but you know, it's not just any deal uh, or, or or even unique deals necessarily that are only available through Capital One. It's the deals that you're getting are based on your pa purchase patterns and your history in terms of how you use your credit card, and and where you shop and what you've done in, in, in the past. So so it's very tailored. Uh, I like this kind of you know very hyper focus and, and relevance uh, uh, play, and uh, I, I think we're going to see many more of these kinds of relationships. Yeah, you hit it right there, which is that uh, that this is based on your patterns. So uh, you know it is very selective on what you, you'll get the discounts and and how it interacts with you. And I think Sarah Prez said it very well in her article on TechCrunch around this, which she said that you, you know Shop Savvy was was originally about deals, about uh, you know. Um, 
you know, showrooming and, and, and I mean, Shop Savvy was one of the first applications out there that allowed you to compare what you're about to spend inside of a store to what was available around the corner or online on Amazon or any other uh, e-tailer. And I think that she said it so well, is that they're moving from that deals world to to really a, a shopping platform and they've been in that evolution uh, you know since they really did launch and i think this this pushes it a little bit further and and the, this is going to happen uh, you know this seamless transition between discounts and incentives uh, and credit card companies and the people who own the gateway to the cash we've talked about this so many times on these on this show uh, you know over the last 119 episodes and now including this one just simply because whoever owns the customer owns that relationship with the customer owns the you know ha has the upper hand in these conversations and i like this move by uh i like this move by shop savvy yep. so if you're interested in shop savvy uh shopsavvy.com it's exactly how it sounds s-h-o-p-s-a-v-v-y.com and uh, you can download it in it's on all three major platforms which is windows android and ios all right. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about it while we were our second story. While we were in uh, in Toronto, we we talked to uh, the Justins over at uh, at Halo. We're not talking about Halo today, but uh, a Halo competitor. I think these guys emanate from Toronto. In fact, uh, Winston. Uh, these guys have kind of shifted their business model away from um, creating a, a a you know a black car hailing or taxi hailing application where they bring in all the other different black car companies and, and taxi companies like Uber and like Halo uh, into a company that builds white label version of their software for taxi cab companies. They're Toronto based, aren't they? Yeah. They are. Um, yeah, they, they come out of a, uh, a local accelerator called the, the Next 36, um, which is kind of like a, a mini Y Combinator, yeah. I guess, um, uh, up here it's in like Toronto. Like a Y Combinator and, uh, wannabe. That's what they all are. <laughs> y Combinator wannabe. Yeah. There you go. Um, yeah, and, and, and so this is a company that's been around for a little while. They've been in that black car, uh, you know, aggregating space for for a little bit, um, and uh, they've decided that uh, you know it's not really working out for them. Time to pivot. Uh, so they've changed the name to Fleet Bit. Effectively, what they're doing is they are, you know, as you said, building white label uh, solutions for the taxi companies. And, and personally, um, you know, while I think there might be, you know, some customer uh, potential customers there for them. I mean, they, they've announced that uh, they've done this for um, Diamond Taxi, which is one of the big uh, Toronto taxi companies. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm not really, you know, all that optimistic on this one. I, I think this is. You know, a a last minute, uh, you know, uh, kind of you know, run to try and find some way to make some money, uh, but you know, it's not a company because at the end of the day, you know, who's your customer? A bunch of companies out there that are looking for an app development shop. So you're nothing more than an app development shop, in my view. I mean, sure, you've got a product here, and and you're gonna just go and slap a different logo on on it, uh, you know, a few different times. But that's not a. I don't see that as a as a long term, big, sustainable business. It, you know, you might have you know, fifteen, twenty companies uh, using your platform. You know, paying you a few fees, but uh, at the end of the day, it, you know, some of these guys are going to go build their own apps. Some of these guys are just going to, you know, decide that they're going to partner up with Uber or Halo or somebody else, anyways. And and yeah, I, I don't like this. I, I think this is a uh, you know just a, a last ditch effort to you know how do, how do we find some money and and keep our investors you know uh, off our backs for for another couple months. We are in complete agreement with this. Uh, this is, uh, you know, when I think of a company like Halo, like Uber, like these other companies that are that are really um, investing in audience development, which is the key thing. If you're a cab company, if you're anybody, you're, you're going to pay for a service that brings you new customers. And then it's up to you to create the loyalty between that person and you, the business, right? Serve, serve them well, treat them well, um, and, you know, feed them well, whatever it might be, get them there quickly, pick them up faster, right? be held accountable to your customer and I, I i can't see it where there's you know five different cab companies each with their own apps because i don't care about the cab company right no offense to cab companies mm -hmm. i don't care if you are a blue line a yellow line a green line a blah a blah a blah i don't care you are a cab to me you are a service and the closest cab to where i am is the one that i want right i don't care we have this expectation. So the idea that you're going to build apps and I'm going to create loyalty around the cab companies is ridiculous. I could create loyalty to Halo and Uber. 
and um, maybe I'll befriend a driver or two, but I don't really give a damn about the cab companies. So no, I, and I'm right with you on that. I mean, it, it's I don't see I I don't have you know I travel a lot as you know, and I'm constantly in different cities. I use cabs obviously all yep. the time. Yep. You know, I don't have an affiliation to Diamond Taxi or this taxi or that taxi. Like, it doesn't matter to me. I just need a taxi. Uh, and and as, as long as I can get one uh, quickly and, they, you know, I'm happy to use location-based services to do that. You know, so maybe a little sidebar here is, you know, take a look at, you know, Click a Taxi, which is another service out there. These guys are huge. Um, they're, they're now in 50 countries. They work with every major uh, 2,000 different taxi companies uh, are on their system. Um, you know, they. I think they have a, a billion people uh, that have used the platform uh, over the last little while. Uh, I mean, this this is just you know, that is 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 how you scale. Yeah. That that is yep. how you. I mean, it, it's working with all the cab companies at once, providing a, a It's a utility. It's a service that you know that we need. I I, I use Click a Taxi. I, I I have the paid version of the app. Um, you know, like it's it, it's um you know it's just just makes sense. I also use Uber. I also use Lyft, but. You know, it's um, you know I'm not going to go and get a branded taxi app. Um, you know that 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 I just don't see value in that. No, and and even here, there's an Ottawa company uh, that's called Selwand, and they make the they they they're behind the service Pound Taxi. So wherever you are in North America, they worked with the carriers. All you have to do is do a pound like it's a hash, right? So Pound Taxi on your phone, not even in an app, but on your phone, and you'll get connected to the nearest cab and the dispatcher, and they'll get you there done. So, you, you know. The whole idea, the reason that these guys are going to be successful, I mean, Uber, Selwan, Pound Taxi, Lyft, all these guys, is that they aggregate the cabs and they create an audience for the cabs. And you, visitor, you, the resident, don't care about the cab companies. You care about getting to where you're going as fast as you can. And that's why, for us, Winston, whatever it is, Fleetbit, doesn't do it. You don't build uh, you know, customized apps for brands that nobody cares about. And that's what they're doing. Right. So if you are still interested in these guys, uh, Fleetbit, F-L-E-E-T-B-I-T dot com. They were Winston. They had a business model. Now they don't. Oh. That's the easiest way to say it, dude. All right. So, all right. Let's get off that one. Uh, On to our next story. Uh, This is an interesting one. A company called It Does It, uh, which is a a hosted service that provides... uh, Connectors or APIs, if you will, to a bunch of, of uh, you know big cloud-based services like Salesforce.com and Basecamp and WordPress and, and things like that. Uh, they've partnered up with uh, Bullseye, uh, which uh, is a location uh, API, uh, location-based uh, service API that does uh, lead generation, lead management, and email connectors. Um, so this this is a you know a B two B kind of story we're talking about here a little a little bit uh, you know um, outside of the usual uh, consumer facing stuff that uh, that we uh, tend to feature on here, but I wanted to raise it because it, it it has some interesting potential. I mean, if you think of the number of corporations that use Basecamp or Salesforce, uh, you know, or any of those kinds of things, you know, being able to you know simply you know have a plugin that uh, can give you location data or help you understand. Um, you know where, like for example, let's say you're uh, you use Salesforce.com. You've got a bunch of people making sales calls in a suburb of Chicago. Uh, you know on a Tuesday, and you know they're out there. You know they make their calls. All that data is feeding back into Salesforce in real time. Well, you know you can do push. You can push out uh, notifications to say, well, here's three more businesses that aren't customers yet. Um, that happen to be near where you are right now um, uh, as a salesperson, you know, go knock on these doors and, and here's the contact information, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, it's that ability to sort of, you know, do engagement um, and, and feed into uh, in, into the cloud, you know, this data in real time. So, so in the one hand, it's data aggregation and, and um, um, you know, sort of storage. On the other hand, it's, it's, uh, it's the ability to kind of do real-time engagement based on, on location. The, the current API is focused on email, uh, so, so it's, it's this ability to collect uh, emails uh, and distribute emails uh, that are location-centric. And, and so um, what they're going after here is, is, is you know, let's say you're, uh, you know, I know Constant Contact also does some of this kind of stuff. So, you know, think about, you know, you walk into a store, uh, you've checked in on Foursquare. And, um, you know, on that check-in into the location, it'll send you a response back saying, would you like us to add you to, your, to the email database? And, and, and along with that tag, 
the the location of the store that you're at. So there's a bunch of stuff going on in here. Um, you know, obviously not the easiest thing to to uh, to grasp unless you're in the in this kind of B2B and and use uh, use tools like Salesforce or Campaign Monitor or things like that. But uh, a lot of power and a lot of simplicity to how they've enabled this. I don't have anything to add to this, Asif, other than uh, bullseyelocations.com if you're interested in those guys. And if you're interested in uh, It Does It, it just sounds like that, it, it, does it, D-U-Z-Z-I-T.com. Or if you're in Canada, that's D-U-Z-Z-I-T.com. It Does It. Cool story. It just shows you that I, I think that the big thing here is that location is just not about location. It's about contextualizing something like an email, right, and whatever other services they're going to bring into this. So pretty cool. It does it.com and then they were implemented or they were partnered with uh, Bullseye, bullseyelocations.com. First three stories done. Well, we've got three more, but we're going to take a break here to talk to, actually to bring in an, uh, um, an interview that, I, that has not been released yet as of, as of episode number 120. This is with, uh, with uh, VP Design. His name is uh, Blake uh, Syrock who is the VP Design for Willow Tree. This is a company that is very interesting. You've probably never heard of them. They're a small development and design firm, UI UX, in the United States, and they were in charge of, actually, they were tasked with building the uh, mobile experience, that's apps, uh, and in-arena experience for the Barclays Center and for the Brooklyn Nets. So Barclays Center, the Nets used to be in New Jersey, they moved over to Brooklyn. Barclays Center is now their home. And it is one of the most connected and most technologically advanced stadiums, arenas uh, in North America. And these guys were tasked with creating that mobile layer between the, uh, you know, when you walk into the stadium. And then they built the Nets app. So it's both an in-stadium and in-home experience. Pretty amazing. Blake and his team are super, super smart. This is what we're talking about here is the future of live entertainment. And these guys are right in the middle of it. So I had a chance to sit down with Blake and here are his thoughts on what they've been doing for the Barclays Center and the Brooklyn Nets. Take it away, Blake. I, I, you sent me some stuff and I was watching some interviews with some of the guys who were in charge of, uh, you know, the Barclays Center. And, and they had a great point, which was quite literally... You know, people bring these devices into uh, into venues all over the place, and their heads are down for most of whatever it is that they're looking at: concerts, right. sporting events. Mm -hmm. Th these have become uh, interruptions to a live event, mm -hmm. and to the point where even I mean, I'm a Canadian, and I say like, you know what? I don't even need to go to a hockey game because it's it's not it's not interactive enough. I can just sit here right. and watch it, or I could stay at home and and listen to the game and watch the game and interact with the game a little bit more than I can there. But they had a really astute thought, which was. Well, why don't we bring that experience into Barclays, uh, Barclays Center, and then let everybody in there connect over Wi-Fi and uh, simultaneously, 19 or 20,000 people connecting over Wi-Fi without any droppage and technology there is awesome. And then, I mean, but how did you, how do you how do you orchestrate that where you've got the Barclays app and you've got the Nets app and you and and you know you've got to make sure that this experience. Um, is is uh, as good sitting in the stands as it is from home watching it on television. Mm -hmm. That must have been a challenge for you guys. Absolutely. So so that is was one of the the main challenges of of the entire design process of those two apps. Um, and really, you know, we were faced with the with the explicit challenge of we had two two brands. We had the Barclays Center. We had the Nets. Um, they had their very specific use cases and audience, right? So Barclays Center, people going to Barclays Center, I think we can assume that. Nets are Nets fans, but there's some overlap there. If, we're, if we were to draw a Venn diagram of Barclays Center users and Nets users, there's definitely overlap. But it's not 100% overlap. So, so that was something that we really had to consider. And, you know, when we were moving through, um, you know, there were some in one camp wanted all of the all of the features in both apps, right? It would have been very easy to build two apps that had everything. You know, Nets app has live video, Barclays Center has live video. Um, so what we made the conscious decision to do, though, was to craft two separate inter um, two separate experiences catered toward very focused, targeted use cases for for each app. 
and, and their user base. Um, so one of the you know, fundamental um, paradigms of, of great app design is um, ensuring that you're designing for a very focused use case. Um, so, so we kept that in mind throughout the whole process and uh, really figured out how to, how to sort of split up those features in a, in a way that makes sense. But that doesn't mean the apps can't work together, right? So, so the way we, we pulled that off um, was through a, a, a tool, um, a technology that's called URL schemes. And that basically allows us to um, jump from the Nets app to the Barclay Center app. Um, from the Barclay Center app to the Nets app, um, all through the tap of a button. So, so if you're an iOS user, um, you don't have to open up your multitasking drawer, you don't have to double tap the home button, you don't have to go through that, I mean, let's be honest, a pretty painful app switching process uh, in, in the grand scheme of app use. Um, so, so we wanted to make that seamless. And uh, we, got, we got a little more smart about it than just putting a button in the interface. Um, we wanted to make sure that only the users that that made sense for um, got that UI, um, saw that UI. So what we did was, if you are using the Brooklyn Nets application and you're in Barclays Center, you'll get a navigation element that says, hey, you should go check out the uh, live video in the Barclays Center app. And users will be jumped right over to that Barclays Center app um, to, to experience live video. Um, in the Barclays Center app, if you are on location at Barclays Center and there's a Nets game going on, you'll get a promotion for the Nets app, and that can jump you right over the Nets application. So, so the apps aren't two standalone experiences; they work together in tandem, uh, which is uh, which is nothing that I, I've seen done before. Um, and and it's 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 it was pretty exciting to be involved in that uh, creation process. See what I mean? The full episode is going to be up there. It's a long one because we not only talk about Barclays, these guys have incredible clients. Like you're seeing them as if you're, if you're happy to be watching this, scroll through behind me. CNBC, they did the Verge app. They've worked with GE, Valpac, Johnson & Johnson, the Barclays Center, and the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, this is a very, very, very smart company. This episode will be up in a couple of weeks on Untethered.tv. I implore you to take a look at it. If you're interested in connecting with Blake, just head to willowtreeapps.com. WillowTreeApps.com, and I really appreciate the fact that uh, the Blake took some time out to be a part of this, and allowing us to use this clip on this week in location-based marketing. Thanks, Blake. WillowTreeApps.com. All right, back to the stories, Asif. Boom. Yeah. So uh, the next story is uh, is an interesting one. U-Haul, uh, uh, you know, a company that uh, you know I think everybody knows, in, at least in North America, everybody knows who U-Haul is. Uh, because you know we all move from time to time and need a truck and uh, to transport uh, all of our stuff that we collect, um, and uh, you know U-Haul is uh, is is done an interesting project in Detroit uh, using augmented reality technology uh, from Erasma, and uh, it's it's an interesting story in in the sense that uh, what they're doing here is 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 uh, in Detroit right now they're building. Uh, well, they're building a uh, a giant sort of moving and, and, and self-storage kind of location. Uh, so a U-Haul building uh, is being erected. Uh, in, you know, and Detroit's a, an interesting market at the moment. I mean, there's been so much turmoil in that city, you know, with the uh, sort of, uh, you know, the collapse of the auto industry, the bailout of the auto industry. You know, so many uh, great buildings are, are, are just uh, in disarray, uh, you know, empty, vacant, just sitting there, uh, you know, falling apart. And, and here comes U-Haul saying, okay, you know, we're, we're investing in Detroit. We're, uh, we're, putting, uh, we're putting a new, uh, you know, a new building up there. And what they've done is, is they've basically um, used AR to kind of tell the story uh, to, you know, people in Detroit of what this building's all about and why U-Haul's uh, investing in Detroit. And, and so what happens is, is you download the, uh, the app and you hold it up over, you know, what is the space that the building will, will be in um, shortly. And you get this, um, this kind of uh, personalized message, um, you, know, uh, you know, from um, uh, Stuart Schoen, who's uh, one of the EVPs at U-Haul. He kind of shows up in the doorway of where this building is going to be, and um, talks about you know what they're doing and what their plans are for sustainable building and 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 Detroit and kind of revitalizing the area and how U-Haul wants to be a big part of that. Um, and then they kind of walk you through you know what this building is going to be all about. So so it's I think it's it's a 
an interesting use of uh, of AR technology. Uh, obviously, it's not the you know, most creative thing, but it, but it's a, it's a different way to kind of engage with uh, with the local audience, and um, you know we'll we'll see where it goes. But uh, you can find out more about it at uhaul.com forward slash moving Detroit. I like you know I, I think that this is a we're going to see this a lot more. Uh, I, I think the challenges are that you have to be in this location to see how this operates. You know. Um, you know, from a logistics standpoint, this is this is very cool. Like, I mean, you know, I, do, I don't want to diminish the innovation that's happening here because that that's very important. And we got to test these things to make sure that it works. And and this is where I think that we we've talked about this quite often that that image recognition capability on chip, right? Instead of having to download apps and 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 you know, yeah. I think this is where something like Google Now is going to kill it, and, and Android is going to excel simply because they have this flexibility. Um, or, or having an always-on app like the equivalent to this, but move like a equivalent to moves, but in the image recognition space, because you have to go to the location. Then there's a QR code on the, uh, you know, there's a QR code on the uh, on the door that you have to basically have a QR code reader to be able to download the app that allows you to see the augmented reality at this. You know what I mean? It's like this daisy daisy yeah, it's, chain. It's it's like it's the same issues I have with yeah. Foursquare. I mean, it, it's it's just too there's too many too many steps. steps. Yeah. Right. Uh, you know, we need to get to that passive uh, kind of engagement model, right? Where it just, you know, stuff is just enabled because we're there. It happens. Or, or, or not. Yeah, it just happens. Yeah, so, yeah. Anyhow. I mean, friction is what you want to avoid. And we hear that a lot. But but here, here's that thing where, I mean, too many steps to get there. And, and I would love to be able to see it on the web. Like, you know, I'm interested in this. So I go to the store. Uh, give me the ability to download something or scan something or do something that, that shows me fr from where I'm sitting right here. Because I, I'm not in Detroit, but I'm interested in this. And uh uh, you know, but it's an example of, of a company thinking. And, uh, you know, I might have to use U-Haul in the next little while. You know why, Asif? You know why? You know why Ottawa is one of the greatest cities on the planet? Why is that, Rob? It's important to know this. There is, they've just passed a name, a road name change. Don't know what it was called, like Rural Route Number 3. They're calling it, you ready? Thunder Road. Oh! Thunder Road. <laughs> I was telling my kids yesterday, he's like, we got to pack, we're moving to Thunder Road. And they're like, what, Dad? Where, are, are the ACDC guys uh, moving in? Well, or what, what's going on? You know what? Uh, it, uh, it's a, uh, it's a Springsteen too, right? That's why. i got to be there. Come yeah, on but now. you know, uh, it, there's a line in the uh, Springsteen song called you know, Thunder Road, and I don't think that the city thought about this as they were renaming a, a road to a Springsteen town, which is a, it's a town full of losers, and I'm pulling out of here to win, right? That's, that's the last line of Thunder Road. So yeah. anyways, Thunder Road, coming to Ottawa, U-Haul. Gonna need your services, packing up my family, moving to Thunder Road. You're gonna have to rebuild the treehouse. <laughs> it's though, okay. You know <laughs> I don't think there's anything out there on this. That's where we're gonna be living in the treehouse. All right. Yeah. Our, All right. Uh, so if you're interested in that, yeah, as, as uh, Steve was saying, go to uhaul.com forward slash move Detroit, or uh, I have here blogs.uhaul.com forward slash Detroit. You'll get to the same spot. Our fifth story. This is, you know, we, we think about Cisco, we think about enterprise, we think about hospitals, we think about Luddites, we think about the, the inability to move um, digital into their business with, uh, you know, digital records management for, uh, for uh, patients and security and compromising security. But here's something, this is a, Cisco's, this is a very interesting play because, uh, you know, part of creating efficiencies with mobile and, and devices is also inventory control and management and people management and making sure there's a good flow and understanding context to the situation right now where everything is and where everybody is to service a customer better. And Cisco walks in there and so Cisco has created this context-aware healthcare solution, which I think is a long time coming. We've been talking about, you know, tags, smart tags and Wi-Fi tags on on um, on equipment since the old RFID tag days, right? And and I think that this is finally finally ripe, ready to come to fruition. Wouldn't you say, Asif? Like it's about time. Yeah, yeah, and I think this is this is a space that. Uh... You know, a lot of the carriers historically have tried to provide solutions into into healthcare, into hospitals, and things like this. Um, you, you know, it's it's interesting to see uh, you know the hardware manufacturers like Cisco step up, and and uh, you know you know really put a focus on this. And I, I was on a call yesterday with uh, with Ericsson. Uh, you know, they're looking at uh, at things like this. Um, I, when I was at Apps World a few weeks ago, I met a company called uh, Etel U, which is a indoor positioning or uh, location. Uh, 
play that's almost exclusively focused on healthcare as well uh, and hospitals and things like that. So, so I think this is a an emerging space. You know, it, it's not always about retail and consumers and deals and and stuff like that. Um, there's lots of other great applications. Um, for this, and you know, and one of those is is healthcare, and so this this kind of context uh, aware healthcare, as they call it, for me is interesting. So so it's about you know it's about indoor positioning, it's about RFID, it's about you know uh, Wi-Fi tags, it's about you know being able to track equipment in hospitals, which often goes missing. Uh, you know, it, it's it's about uh, you, you know mobile asset management at the end of the day, and um, you, you know I think there's there's a huge amount of opportunity in this space. Um, you know, there's um, you know privacy issues around patient privacy and regulatory things that I think this this enables um, uh, in in some respects and, and patient safety even uh, right. I mean, so you know Alzheimer's patients and things like that. Um, you know that can be you know lumped in along with uh, the equipment in this respect in terms of tracking and tagging. So so I think there's a lot of opportunity, and I like that Cisco and and others are stepping into the space, and I think uh, we need more of it. Yeah, and as the market matures for digital you know records management and mobile devices inside of the hospitals and in doctors hands you know there was a company here in Ottawa called Select Start Studios that worked with the University of Ottawa Health or uh, um, yeah the Ottawa hospitals here to uh, kind of enable uh, one of the very first North American tests of iPads in the, in the hospital in doctors use for uh, for records management. You know that's a little bit longer play. There's still a whole bunch of efficiencies that can be can be brought into hospitals through the use of mobile technologies and tracking technologies and contextualizing location and and even they're talking about yeah. you know uh, remote monitoring of temperature in in the building to make sure that yep. uh, you know it's optimal for patients and and optimal probably for you know reducing the transmission and the spread of disease and all these kind of things that we're start we're starting to get into that that are the the I think the catalysts for digital and mobile adoption later on, right? We, we, we always think grand vision that, yep. you know, my healthcare and my records are going to follow me wherever I go and we're going to do these remote procedures around the world and all these kind of things. But really what the big things are, um, you know, for hospitals is budgetary, just like everybody else. Like when equipment goes missing yep. or it's underutilized, they're leaving revenue on the table or they're losing money or they have to spend more money to replace things. And, and, and part of it is also about, you know, reducing that six or seven hour wait in the emergency room to be able to get people through faster and make sure we can save some lives. And I think when you start to attack those problems like Cisco's doing, big, big, big things start to happen. People get comfortable with the technology, they start to adopt the technology, and then we can start talking about the big, big, big nuggets around everything else. So I, I like this. Yeah, and, and big and big yeah. money too, right? I mean, this, yeah. this is, uh, you know, we, we talk a lot about monetization and all these little consumer apps that, you know, can't seem to find a revenue model. Well, you know, guess what, guys? You know, this is big business we're talking about here. This is healthcare. This is hospitals. These guys, you know, spend millions and billions of dollars. Um, you know, there's a lot of money to be made in in applying location-based services, contextual services, presence detection, all that kind of stuff that Cisco's doing in here. Um, you know, to actually make real money. So, yeah. um, not even know. to mention analytics. Like we love the data stuff. Like you know, and this is where you get to, into uh, equipment usage and wait times and. I mean, this is this this creates efficiencies or can create efficiencies if acted upon. So, uh, and, and yeah, I, companies like Cisco, big big hardware providers like this are, are it's it's good business for them to be in. I would say saving saving hospitals money. Yep. So cool, hey, Cisco. Just I mean, you can search for this, uh, search for it on Google. Just context aware healthcare solution by Cisco. Or you can just go to cisco.com and, and go into their uh, healthcare area and you'll find some more information. There's a PDF. Well, I'll link to the PDF uh, in the show notes. Okay, our last our last story right before we jump into our resource of the week. Asif, man, talk about this. You know, when you, when you submitted this story, I thought, what do you mean? San Francisco is going to regulate mobile retail? How are they going to do that? This is a broke. Yep. I mean, everybody knows that, that the state of California is uh, is broke. So this is another tax grab. I was infuriated. I was angry. I'm like, they can't do it. I'm not. And then it's like, when you mean mobile retail, like you, you quite literally mean mobile retail, like, you know, vending through trucks and, you know, yeah. clothing stores in the back of a van and, and food trucks. And, and then I calmed down. Yeah, but 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 you know the reason I wanted to pull this story up because it is you know potentially how far does this 
you know, the, does the thinking around this regulation go, right? So right now, yes, it, it's absolutely, we're talking about food trucks, we're talking about, you know, a, any kind of retail that is, you know, uh, transitory or on the move, you know, in a physical way. Um, and uh, so the city of San Francisco is basically uh, looking at uh, drafting some regulations right now that are going to regulate this, that are going to put some some taxes around this, um, you know, and because right now none of this is covered by by any of the current uh, current laws that are there. Um, and uh, what's been happening apparently in San Francisco is business owners, business operators are, are going to the city and saying, you know, we want to do our, uh, you know, our, our fair share. We want to give, uh, we are, you know, doing business and we should be paying something. And, and there's no regulation um, for, for them to actually, uh, to, uh, to enable that. So, um, so, so, so that's what's kind of prompted this. But, you know, as much as this is focused at the moment on food trucks and, and like businesses, mobile retail in that context, um, you know, what's to say that it doesn't include other types of pop-up retail? Um, you, know, we're, we're, you know, for example, Target just launched in Canada and, and prior to that launch, you know, you had uh, them coming into Toronto and other places, you know, and just throwing up virtual stores uh, like in a truck. You know, uh, you know, for for like three days, and and getting people used to that brand. So this is the kind of thing currently that under this kind of regulation would be, you know, would fall under that kind of uh, you know taxation. But you know, what what happens if that's virtual? What happens if you know we're talking about an AR store, you know, uh, in the middle of Central mm -hmm. Park? What you know, yeah. does that does that is that considered mobile retail? I I would think it is, right? Because if it's something to me that's happening in a physical location and it's only available in that location then to me technically it's mobile retail the difference is is that i think where where you wouldn't necessarily include it is is just a, a commerce transaction that's happening over mobile um, so so i think it's the difference between a proximity based you know transaction right versus something that is just mobile commerce so in other words you know i i download a song from itunes and i and i pay for that that's not mobile retail in, in in this context, but you know, if I buy something, you know, through virtual AR, you know, in the middle of Times Square, okay, for me potentially that could be mobile retail, and so I wonder how far these kinds of legal discussions are going. You know, I I I would wonder because you know when you when you're doing e-commerce transaction in a state or a province or you you know you get taxed at a certain level, right? You get taxed at that state's, that state's tax uh, bracket. So, if, I mean, if I buy anything in Canada, I get charged PST, GST, and if I... Um, so I wonder if, if I actually purchase something through a mobile device, like a, a song, and, and based on my proximity, so I go to iTunes, I'm in California, I buy a song from iTunes, um, I, of course I would get taxed, you know, because I'm in, in California, you could see it then putting into that point where I'm going to get taxed at Californian taxes. Um, because uh, you've got to think that every state and every province is losing tax revenue because of that exact same thing. And I think that yeah, you're right. Yeah. This, this as, as a base for retail taxation or retail uh, um, legislation, you could you could start to think that everything that we do will be taxed that wherever you are you're going to get to that granular place and and why wouldn't they you know that example i think it was at LAX when Sobeys put up the uh, flat screens right the pop-up store where it allowed you to order the things that you needed when you were on your way home from a long trip so you get some bread and some milk and those kind of mm -hmm. things um, you know that all of a sudden becomes a pop-up store and uh, you're taxed at a certain uh, at a certain yeah. level and and this could be detrimental. Um, so this, hopefully, that we're, what we're talking about here is are people actually taking their time to wander through what it means to be a mobile retail outlet, and um, and to start to think about what this, the implications on the actual mobile and the devices purchasing from the devices means. Because if I'm holding it up and it's an augmented reality uh, store, which you can do anywhere, right? I could be in Canada and I could do yeah. an augmented reality store in the middle of uh, of uh, you know anywhere. You can do it on the Golden Gate Bridge. I can do it in Times yeah, Square. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it comes down to you know what what is their jurisdiction? Yeah. Is is it is it is it physical real estate? Um, you know that that makes up you know what what that yeah. city or municipality or state uh, can tax on, or does it include the airwaves and 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 other stuff you know around that? Right, uh, you know the virtual space, uh, the air. 
Um, you know, and I think that that is an interesting discussion, and I'd love to hear you know what you know some of the lawyers are are, are positioning and thinking around that. So, anyways, I just wanted to raise it because it, it's an interesting discussion. I think San Francisco seems to be moving forward in this direction. They'll be the first in the U.S. to do anything like this. Um, you know when it happens, and uh, you know we'll we'll watch and monitor and see where it goes. This is going to be very very interesting, very interesting as we go through this. And you know it's all it's brought on by the fact that uh, you know we get this could be a long discussion. It's brought on by the fact that obviously uh, per square footage cost of retail um, retail cost or retail stores in San Francisco and many ma many major cities except maybe Detroit are escalating at a point where people can't afford the rent, right? It's very expensive. So these pop-up trucks start to come, pop-up stores start to come. Um, and I wonder if this kind of signifies the beginning of the, not the end of retail, I don't believe that, but the shrinking of the store, the size, the square footage, instead of what once was, you know, a 1,000 square foot store, you're gonna do, a two, you're gonna do four 250 foot square uh, stores with virtual inventory, right? Uh, like we've talked about um, mm -hmm. many times before. So. Who knows what happens here, but this is very. We we should be watching this with uh, with really really sharp eyes about what happens going on. So, San Francisco could be the first city to regulate mobile retail. We don't know what that means. I think we should all be a little frightened what that means. And that is our sixth story. So we've done. Look at that. Covered everything. Gone around the world, and we've also. Uh, open up what I hope is a good debate, a good discussion around a few of these things. Uh, so if you happen to have any comments, suggestions, criticisms, um, you know, anything, reach out, robinuntether.tv or asif at thelbma.com. Follow us on Twitter at Rob Woodbridge or at Asif Arkan, and we will respond. And if you wanted to be a part of those six stories, if you had something to contribute, please reach out. We will include email. You can reach us at untether.tv forward slash talk if you'd like to leave us a voicemail. And of course, uh, we will play that on the air if you leave it to under 30 seconds, provided that it's not swear-laden. I'm the only one that's allowed to, to swear on the, on the show. In fact, I think I'm the only one that does. All right. Yeah. Fi final piece, right. our resource of the week, Asif. This is a great one. Lead us into this and then lead us out, please. Yeah, so uh, it's it's titled "Who's Using Geosocial and Location-Based Services?" Uh, based primarily on new data from the Pew Research Center, which puts out great studies on, on this kind of stuff and looks at uh, at the consumer uh, American consumer population in particular. Um, and uh, so th so they're looking at both what they call geosocial networking platforms like Facebook Places and Foursquare, as well as location pure location-based services that are more about finding uh, you know restaurants and, and, and social discovery uh, or more discovery-based than than social I should say um, uh, solutions out there. So like Spindle I guess would would fall into something like that. Um, and so there's some interesting uh, stats in here. 83% of all American adults, uh, age 18 and older, now own a cell phone. Uh, so that's th those are big numbers. Um, you know, 83%. Um, that's a big number. 55% um, of smartphone users get location-based directions or recommendations. 42% um, uh, are, are on a smartphone. So so it's 83% overall cell phone. 42% smartphone. Um, which I've seen numbers that are actually over 50% in the U.S. now. So, um, you know, obviously everybody's looking at slightly different uh, studies and different panels. But, uh, you know, it's, it's an in and around that 50% mark. Um, and 12% of smartphone users use a geosocial service like Foursquare or Gual. So that, th those are pretty significant numbers. Uh, and then they go down and they break it into gender and, and uh, household income and, and education and a bunch of other stuff. So there's some great data there. The most important thing about this infographic for me is at the bottom of the infographic, they talk about the top networks and the number of users on those networks. So Facebook and uh, LinkedIn and Twitter and Foursquare. And it's number of active users, uh, not the number of users on the platform. So we know Foursquare, for example, has... 28, 29 million users uh, on the platform, but it's actually uh, delineated here as only 10 million active users. Uh, so just to put that into context in, in terms of you know the, the, the numbers that we usually see out there, which is how many people have downloaded the app. And that's a, it's a pretty, dis, I mean, it's a pretty severe drop off when you go from Twitter at 100 million users, active users to Foursquare at 10 million. And Google Latitude, and I, I mean, I don't know anybody who uses Google Latitude. Do you? Yeah, well, I mean, it's rolled Google, into yeah, Plus Google now, Plus right? And so, Google Now and, and yeah. all that, but uh, yeah. and even Friendster. So, um, 
This, yeah, very fascinating, very fascinating. And and one of the interesting things that I, I mean, I haven't seen Gowalla's name mentioned in a long time. And, you know, it's, I think we should stop referencing Gowalla, but uh, this is a, uh, yeah. it's, it's a great thing. This will be up at, uh, will this be up at the lbma.com forward slash research? Yep. Okay. It will. And of course, yes. if you, wherever you found this episode, uh, just if there's a write-up, uh, you know, best place to go is untether.tv and you can, uh, or the lbma.com forward slash research and you can, it'll be in the show notes there. That is our resource of the week. Who's using geo, social, and location-based services? Which is uh, Pew. If you don't follow them or don't know anything about them, you should do a Google search on Pew and, and find out. They, they do some incredible research um, on this stuff as well as onto uh, media and newspaper business and, and what's going on there and some great recommendations come out of there. Yeah. So, All right, that is episode number 120. One, two, zero of this week in location-based marketing. Any final uh, thoughts on this, Asif, before we wrap up and let the good listener, the fine person at the other end of these earbuds go on with their day? No, I mean, I, I would just say that, uh, you know, if, if you've got uh, stories out there that you want us to, to, to cover, be aware of, you know, feel free to send us uh, a note, an email, a Twitter message. Uh, don't forget to... Uh, Subscribe in iTunes uh, to this podcast. Uh, you know, just look for this week in location-based marketing, and and you'll find it there. Uh, you know, we really appreciate the support and the and the you know the folks who who actually you know reach out to us and tell us you know that they uh, they watch and and uh, every week or uh, you know that um, you know that they can't get enough of Rob and me. I guess I don't know what it is, but uh, we love it and and we we're really appreciative of it. So you know, just keep it up and. Uh, you know, feel free to reach out to us at any time with a, with a story idea or an, or an interview request or what have you. So, yeah. thanks. Line of communications wide open. That is it for episode number 120. We'll see you next week for number 121. Asif, enjoy your week off. Everybody else, see you next week. Cheers. <laughs>